Farm Online wishes to acknowledge the custodians of the many lands on which it conducts its business. In doing so, Farm Online also acknowledges the elders of those lands past, present and future as knowledge holders and as key stakeholders in the education and employment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Indispensable contains general medicine and health advice and is not intended to be a substitute for professional, individual medical advice. We endeavour to ensure it is accurate and up-to-date, however we can't guarantee that it will always apply to you. Always seek the guidance of your pharmacist or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or a medical condition. Welcome to Indispensable, where we provide you with evidence-based medication advice so that you can feel empowered about your own health. I'm your host, Anna Barwick, and I'm an experienced clinical pharmacist, academic and PhD candidate. Join me as we hear from the medication experts, pharmacists. Yvette Anderson graduated from Charles Sturt University and has progressed her pharmacist career with experience in community pharmacy, private hospital, aged care, consultancy and public hospital practice. Yvette has qualifications in mental health first aid, asthma management, consultant pharmacy, and is currently undertaking a Master's of Autism. Yvette's current role is a clinical pharmacist in a large regional Victorian public hospital. Yvette's specialist area of interest is neurodevelopmental conditions, and in 2020, she launched the Spectrum Pharmacist. The Spectrum Pharmacist utilises Yvette's professional knowledge and experience combined with her personal experience as a mum to two boys on the spectrum to provide information, education, personal tips and experiences to help individuals and families on their spectrum journey. Hi, Yvette. It's so lovely to have you on the Indispensable podcast. How are you? I'm good, Anna. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's a pleasure. So let me hear more about you. You're known as the spectrum pharmacist. Tell us what's involved in that. Yeah, so um, I'm a clinical pharmacist. I registered at Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga, so a rural campus in New South Wales. That was back in, you know, 2005, so quite a while now. Um, I'm currently working as a clinical pharmacist in a large regional hospital in Victoria, but I've also um, worked quite extensively in community in aged care. Um, I'm an accredited pharmacist, which means I can do home medication reviews and go to aged care facilities and help with their medication management plans as well. And then um, I, I found a little bit of a niche as, as a combination of my own personal experience, which I'd love to tell you about. So as a clinical pharmacist, I've worked quite a lot in um, psychiatry and in women's and children's health and finding that the neurodiversity of individuals um, isn't obviously well known outside of, you know, that, that clinical niche. And I was finding that more and more people were kind of coming to me as in friends and family when they knew that I had some personal experience with it. There was a lot of questions. And there is still a lot of stigma. So part of the spectrum pharmacist is to obviously look at those things and and try and break down those barriers with that informed knowledge. Absolutely. And you've got some family experience as well. I do, yeah. So I have three sons, um, two of which are formerly on the spectrum. So they, um, my eldest was diagnosed when he was only four and a half. So he's now 12 and a half. 
So it's been, been a little while. And my youngest was diagnosed when he was six um, and he is now eight. So yeah, we do have some family, you know, genetics in there, but no one with autism as such, which my both my boys have. Um, so yeah, that, that was a really big learning curve for, for us as a family, but also been a really a roller coaster, but a very good learning curve as well. Absolutely. And do you feel that having some medical and health experience helped you in that that situation? Um Initially, probably not. I think I overthought it a lot more. And, and you know, as with my, my first boy, you know, you're a brand new mum, you're, you're on tender hooks as it is of going, all right, each time, you know, are they meeting those milestones? You know, you go to the maternal child first and they're, and they're saying, oh, you know, can you do this, this and this? And I'm like, mm, well, kind of, but not really. So it, it's very overwhelming. Um, I, I'm the sort of person that will research things to death. And so I guess in saying that, having that health professional background, I knew where to look for the right information, which is so very important. Um, so thankfully, I didn't go down too many rabbit holes that were leading me to those incorrect and, and all those you know, magic cures as such. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it, it was a brand new thing for us as a family and for me even being in that in that space. Absolutely. So definitely some challenges that were coming up regardless um, of, of your experience and background anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel for, you know, my husband is not in the medical field at all. Um, and so even, even looking at him and some of the questions he'd asked, you know, I... I think back to those now and, and I'm getting the same ones on the spectrum pharmacist and I'm thinking, right, where, where are we failing here? Where, you know, there's, there's all this information that, that's great that, that can help people, but it's about trying to, you know, get it out there as best I can. Indispensable advice for you. So tell us a little bit about what, was, what is neurodiversity? So, yeah, neurodiversity is, is a bit of a, um, a coined term, I guess, for the differences in the way our brain functions and also in regards to a lot of behavioural traits. So um, it's not, we don't view them as um, negative things. It, it's definitely not, um, you know, a, a blight on someone's, persona as such it's it's about those differences and and areas of challenge I guess we we more refer them to neurodiversity was brought about to try and increase the awareness um the acceptance and the inclusion you know so much you know needed to happen in regards to inclusion of all people um and embracing all those differences and and those wonderful quirks that you know I can know from my sons that that give to the community so um, neurodiversity encompasses autism. You know, a lot of people, when they think of a neurodiverse condition, they think of the autism spectrum. But it also can be Tourette's and tics. Um, it can be um, intellectual disabilities. And then we look at some of the co-occurring conditions like ADHD, anxiety, depression, um, even insomnia, massive area. Um, for everyone, really, <laughs> most parents. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really nice coin term that thankfully it, it is getting a lot more awareness out there. We do have a, an annual day and, and, you know, it is it is something that 
slowly is um, becoming more of the, the accepted norm. Yeah, and breaking down some barriers, which is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, great. Yeah. So I've heard about um, increases in the diagnosis of neurodiverse conditions. Why do you think that is, or is that actually true? Yeah, it, it really is true. There's um, one of the studies I was reading about, it's nearly close to a tenfold increase in the last two decades. So it's really, yeah. And it's not that we've never known about it. It's not that, you know, people are all of a sudden putting their hands up saying, oh, this is this is me. It's about that um, awareness and acceptance. But also we've got better measures now for diagnosis. Diagnosis. Um, thankfully you know we do have a criteria for diagnosis of of a lot of neurodiverse conditions and that is obviously has its flaws as as every you know clinical book does have but thankfully it, it does have a lot of reviews that continually happen so we've got you know not only the the criteria that people can kind of, you know, when they're getting diagnosed, align to it. But we've got a lot more health professionals in that space. Um, there still, unfortunately, is a lack. Of, and even in my area, I know that it can take, you know, 12 to 18 months for a little one to get a diagnosis, which is so, you know, it, it is the worst possible outcome for the fact that when children are young and we've got these, you know, challenges that are happening, if we can try and get those evidence-based practices into place early, um, it just sets them up so much, you know, in, a, in such a better path. Um, but, yeah, we've also, um, I guess the prevalence of diagnosis has also come to a bit more of a forefront for the fact that a lot of um, adults now that may have been missed as children or are now, you know, accessing diagnosis as well. Um, it's still severely underreported. There are a number of countries that, you know, a neurodiverse condition is still heavily stigmatised. Um, and there are those people that will identify and kind of go, yep, you know, I, I know I can tick the boxes, but they don't feel that getting a diagnosis will actually you know, help them in a, in a way that they can't already access some of the services that they need. Absolutely. And do you feel that some people intentionally don't get a diagnosis so that they don't feel like they have like a, you know, um, a label, I suppose? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and that was something that my husband and I talked about when our children were young is that that labelling can, it can provide so many good things in, in access to, to more treatments, many, many doors open. But at the same time, that stigma around that label is still so prevalent. And um, I am fortunate, you know, we've, we've been quite open with our sons in, at an appropriate age saying, you know, this is, this is why you think in certain ways, you know, when, when they're having those big emotions, once things have kind of settled down a bit, we can sit down and say, hey, this is, you know, do you think this might be, you know, do you understand why things are happening the way you are? And there's lots of great kids' books now that kind of explain it. But I think for an adult going through childhood and kind of always not kind of fitting in or not kind of understanding those social norms or they can now look back and go, yeah, that, that's what it was. And, and for some adults, just having that reassurance and, and, and that identification of, of being neurodiverse, um, 
yeah, I think it can be very powerful for them in the, in the same way. Absolutely. And I was going to ask, were there particular um, kind of presentations or, or signs that you could see yourself even prior to diagnosis um, in your own family? Um, I think for my youngest, things, especially around his very restricted patterns, um, you know, we would have to have a certain colour plate and cup and set out in a certain way, otherwise he just wouldn't eat. Um, certain way he puts on clothes, and he still does it, you know, there's a certain order to things, and if things happen to go amiss, then that causes him real distress. Um those um, insistence on sameness is, is a similar kind of thing in and a lot of kids you know you'll see parents take photos and go oh they've lined up all their cars or they're all color-coded and and some of that is you know I think back and I think well that's why I taught my kids colors but when they start to go right you know things have to be in a certain way and if they don't it causes them that that undue stress um, it, it takes it to another level um, the social interaction is a, is a really big one and that's something that parents often kind of mention as, as a primary thing. You know, you go to mum's group or you go to kinder or something and it's just like, right, you know, not only are they, there's no, you know, two-way play, there's no, it's all parallel play, you know, and it's very much my way or no way. And that can be really hard because is that just, you know, I'm a, I'm a four or five year old. I've got my independence, you know, um, it's, it's a blurry line and, and that's where diagnosis does, you know, fail some people. I, I will be very honest and it does fail some people. Um, but it's about making sure that, you know, the diagnosis criteria are there. So we make sure that we can cover all those different areas. I've only touched on two of them. Um, just so we know, you know, whether is it just, you know, you've got a, a headstrong little little person versus no, they are they are really having some some extra difficulties there. Absolutely. And it also sounds like, yeah, there's a risk there too with parents trying to diagnose <laughs> um, where, where there can be confusion and, and absolutely kind of need um, some structure to that just so that, yeah, the, you know, the right supports can be put in place and, um, yeah, right therapies can be advised without somebody self-diagnosing. And, and I know I've seen this a bit too on platforms like TikTok where you were talking about adults self-diagnosing, you know, they're going, I'm absolutely, you know, Know, autistic or I'm absolutely you know I've absolutely got ADHD and um yeah obviously there is a risk there isn't there a hundred percent and it, and people that self-identify they go oh I'm a little bit OCD and things like that like that can be really damaging to someone who does you know formally have OCD you know and those off-the-cuff remarks you know, unfortunately we're probably all you know well not all of us but you know a large majority of us might have you know inadvertently said something um, but when you stop and think about it, you know, a little bit closer, it, it can really hurt. But you're 100% right about parents kind of self-diagnosing. Um, I talked myself out of my out my youngest son diagnosis so many times. Um, he's the youngest of three boys. We put it down to, yeah, that younger sibling, he's mimicking his brothers. But it in your gut as a parent and you are their best advocate, you know, 100%. 
that you know when something, you know, there's little quirks are probably a little more quirky than maybe, you know, the rest of his classroom. And having those, you know, we've got, you know, I mean, Victoria, we've got, you know, four-year-old kinder and three-year-old kinder, you know, having that, that input from, you know, teachers or even when they get to primary school, you know, a lot of the teachers now do have some really great um, training and education in regards to neurodiversity. And that's probably another reason why the diagnosis has kind of escalated in numbers, which is really positive. At least that, you know, they're spending, you know, six hours a day with, with your little one and they can kind of say, you know, all right, what's kind of happening outside of the house as well. So. Absolutely. They've got some separation there and some training that hopefully helps them to identify it and, and make a suggestion to parents to, yeah, to go and yeah. have uh, an investigation done. Essential, knowledgeable, indispensable. Your pharmacist. Tell us a little bit about what's involved in managing neurodiversity. And I, I imagine that's quite big. Um, I'm sure there's kind of medications and, and non-pharmacological options as well. So um, tell us a bit about, you know, what, what generally happens or what should happen when it comes to managing neurodiversity. Yeah, so um, it is very, very big, as you mentioned. So I guess as a broad overview, it's about... Um, really working out what goals that individual sort of wants to achieve or, you know, aims to, to progress in. And I think achieve is probably the wrong word is that we often, you know, I, my youngest has had the same goal for the last two years and we're, we're working towards it. So about having those right goals for that individual um, and depending on their age and their abilities as to whether they are, you know, actively putting their hand up and saying this is what I want versus their loved ones advocating um, you need to make sure that once you do have those goals set in place that you've got the right people involved so we're we're talking about a, a wide spectrum of of health professionals that can get involved you know from you know your pediatrician and GP to your psychologists and social workers to um, OTs and physios and dietitians like the list can get going but if all those people say you've got four or five people as part of your team as such but if they're not all aligned to those goals it can be really not only frustrating but very very confusing you know you may have one therapist going right we're going to focus on this and we're going to implement x y and z and then you've got someone else going no we're going to do this and you know yes they will all have their little you know sections that they're focused on but if you've got those core goals you know where you're working towards. Um, I guess in regards to medications, there there is no cure for a neurodiverse condition. There is no, you know, um, despite what you can read on the internet, no diet, no medication, nothing is going to cure it. Um, medications are there in place to assist with some of the um challenges in regards to aggression and anxiety and depression uh insomnia um my youngest has got sensory processing disorder so he has a lot of um bladder and bowel issues so that's where medications play a really important place um a lot of the time when people think of medication they think of adhd so yes, there are two main classes of medications: we've got stimulants and non-stimulants. And you know, Ritalin and Concerta, they're they're 
nearly household names now for a variety of reasons. Um, but they all have play such an important role for the fact that we can have lots of different therapies. We can we can try different things. But if you've got this overwhelming anxiety or if you have insomnia, not we know as I'm I'm a neurotypical, I'm I'm not neurodiverse, but I know that if I have a terrible night's sleep a couple of nights in a row, the next few days are so difficult. And you think, you know, both of my sons have insomnia and you can just tell some days that they their poor little bodies just cannot function. So that's that's a really important place where medication comes into play. It is, it is a balancing act. There are some that obviously, you know, don't work well together or the doses. We need to, to really play with it a little bit. And unfortunately, yes, you'll go to your pediatrician or your psychiatrist and they will prescribe those medications for you. But unfortunately, you may not see them again for another three or six months. Um, and that's where your GP comes into play and your local pharmacist. But unless you've got those well-informed, well-educated people that can really try and say, oh, okay, let's let's try this. Let's, you know, the, the latest research says, you know, this combination works. That That's where things kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, and I'm hoping that's where the spectrum pharmacist can kind of come in and, and really try and fill a fill a gap there for people. Absolutely. And I think we've seen a lot um, in the news uh, recently about the NDIS. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that and how that's used for people with neurodiversity? Yeah, so the NDIS is um, it's a government organisation that obviously provides financial, predominantly financial support for those with a formal diagnosis. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't cover every diagnosis and it doesn't cover every level of severity. And there is a wide variety of, of all the different conditions. So it, it can be quite limited in that space. However, the, the, bar the, the hurdles that you jump over to get onto the NDIS can be very, very beneficial. Um, it opens up doors to those people that may not be able to afford those extra supports. You know, a, a 45, 50-minute appointment with a health professional can cost $200 plus. You know, and if you think, you know, my youngest sees two a week, every week, you know, where it gets up there sort of thing. And I think, you know, the NDIS has obviously it, it's often in the media and it, and it does get battered around a little bit it, it can be it can be quite difficult to to circumnavigate but at the same time I do think it's a, a beneficial program um, opportunity for people um yeah it's got a long way to go <laughs> absolutely and, and I think with your experience you can help people navigate that as well yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, obviously I, I have been fortunate that my children do qualify for NDI support. Um, and some of the plan managers that we've had and we've got local area coordinators that that help us, they they have been absolutely phenomenal. You know, that you get some very well educated people that that have the best, the best, you know, values and they just want to help those um unfortunately you know when we talk about you know regional and remote 
communities that that does pose another barrier. I think now that telehealth is is you know much more accepted, and you know we've obviously had to revert to a lot of telehealth over the last two years. That I hope will bring down some of those barriers. You know, all my sons have gone to telehealth and. And it makes my life so much easier. Like I set them up in front of the computer and they've got what they need, you know, they can interact. It's a quiet space. And I'm not having to take them out of, you know, home and, and put them in a foreign environment. So I do hope that that, that will help. Um, there are a lot of areas with NDIS that you need to know what to ask for, um, which I hope that I might be able to help with as well. Um, and unfortunately, at the moment, pharmacists are not covered under NDIS specifically. Um, there are some areas that if you are getting education to try and support your person uh, or yourself, um, there are avenues that you can use your NDIS funding for that. But that's something that we are actively trying to, to intervene on and educate and, and bring, to, bring to light just how important pharmacists are as part of that multidisciplinary team. Indispensable advice for you. So what are your five indispensable tips for people that are neurodiverse? Um, five tips, yes. So I think to reach out to really informed health professionals um, and making sure you're getting that accurate, up-to-date, evidence-based advice. Um, when you're doing that, you need to be really open and honest with them so they can provide that, that optimal support. Um, forming the plan, I think I'll, I'll keep going back to that and making sure those goals align and, and getting your team as such um, all on the same, same road. Um, making sure that plan's regularly monitored and tweaked, you know, something that might be, you know, beneficial at the beginning of the year and probably is not going to be as beneficial or needs to be, you know, changed in the middle of the year. So making sure we really try and, you know, actively say, no, I don't think this is working. Let's, let's try something else. Um, no, you're not alone. It, it can feel, it can feel very isolating. You know, there are times where I've avoided supermarkets and, and going to activities because you just, you know, that overwhelming anxiety in myself. So you're not alone. There are some fabulous support groups out there, both in person and online. Um, I do ask that you just be careful about some of the advice that's, that's given. There are some great um, lived tips, which are really, really important. Just be mindful of, of your own situation. And if something kind of feels amiss, you know, ask someone else and, and you know, look into it a little bit more. Um, as a parent, you are your best advocate for your child um, and they need you. To, to stand up and be that mama bear or papa bear or grandpa bear, whatever it is. Um, I have done that so many times that I will stand up and go, no, this is this is not okay. Um, you know, they're they're overwhelmed in their in their little brain that, you know, and they uh, you know, in most circumstances, they don't know that those behavioral traits that they're displaying is causing any angst for anyone else or or those challenges, behaviors that you see, you know, that's that's, you know, the way that their body is and brain is telling them to act. So, you know, stand up for them and, and empower them. Um, 
and probably the big one for the spectrum pharmacist is making sure if medication is recommended or if you're thinking about a medication, have a chat to, you know, the medication experts, which are pharmacists. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer questions. We can do telehealth appointments, um, chat to your GP, your paediatrician. You know, if you feel that, you know, you're not quite sure and want to bounce some ideas, I'm absolutely happy to help. Um, but, yeah, well, it is a, an ongoing monitoring um, thing as well. You know, it's, it's one of those things that we may start something and in three months' time we go, oh, we've seen a little bit of improvement, we might need to tweak. So, so do keep asking those questions and, and getting the right advice. Fantastic. And like you said, people can find you and they can have a consult with you or have a complete home medication review done too if uh, someone wants to have a, have a real check of what's happening um, at home. 100%, yeah. No, I would love to love to help those others people. That, that's one of the main goals, as, as I love to talk about. That's one of the main goals of the Spectrum Pharmacist is, is to really reach out for those people that, that may feel that they're a little bit, you know, they're struggling and, and they think, all right, no, I want to go down the medication path because that's a big decision for, for someone to make at times. Um, and, yeah, I, I really want to be able to help them from not only my professional knowledge but my personal your know, experiences. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Yvette. It was lovely chatting to you. No, thank you. It was great. This episode is brought to you by me, the Indispensable Pharmacist. Don't forget to subscribe to Indispensable and leave a review so we can help more people. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn by searching for Farm Online. That's P-H-A-R-M online. I'd love to hear your suggestions for the next topic to be covered on Indispensable.